Thank you, Fairfax Bible Church. Pastor Matthew mentioned uh, a northeastern winter, right? So uh, I got up to walk the dog this morning. We are parked somewhere over in Haymarket. Does that sound right? We're about 30 minutes away from here. And uh, when you're living in an RV, space is uh, very valuable. And so we often put our shoes outside the door, right, instead of inside. So I woke up to walk the dog this morning and I came out with my warm toes and I put them inside my shoes with no socks on on a morning where it was 29 degrees. So let's just say I am awake and alert and ready to give this message uh, this morning. What an honor to be here. We've enjoyed worshiping with you. I think this may be our, our fourth week now. I am so excited for how God's been at work and Pastor Matt and Laura's uh, life and the family to bring them here. And what a beautiful thing I see happening at this church. So healthy, God-honoring, and so many things that I see. I do just want to address one thing before I get into the message today, and I think this is important. I heard last week Matt mentioned that there's a little bit of division happening in the church because there's a brother who has said that uh, pumpkin pie is uh, not uh, one of the top Thanksgiving pies. And so I, I researched a little bit this last week, saw some polls and can verify that it's right at the top of the list. So I just wanted to set the record straight. I mean, those type of things can cause division in the church. And so got to be sure to take them seriously. Well, I've got a confession to make on a more serious note. Uh, by the grace of God, I am a pretty uh, happy-go-lucky, laid-back, chill kind of guy, and I have struggled a little bit recently with being discouraged. I've been discouraged a little bit recently, and it's a blessing, I would say this, to be able to access information and receive news more quickly than ever, but so much of it these days is what? It's it's really negative, isn't it? And if that alone isn't enough, I'm convinced that it may be harder now for us than ever, if possible, to discern whether or not the things that we're being told and the news that we're hearing or the info that we're being spoon-fed through social media is actually true or if it's not. Has anybody else experienced this out there? Trying to hear this and say, what do I do with this? Denzel Washington is neither theologian or philosopher, but I love something that I heard him say. He said this, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. And in a day and age where almost everyone seems to have something to say, whether it's worth hearing or not, very few people seem to value listening. Would anyone say of you, he or she is a good listener? What a beautiful thing to listen. And if people struggle to listen, there's probably even fewer who are willing to actually learn something when they listen or to think maybe if I listen to what someone else has to say, there's something of value there that I can take away. And sometimes that discourages me feel like our ability to actually engage in civil discourse, which is 
so important is almost completely vanished. And there are times where this really gets me down. Our news and our, our social media feeds are filled daily with global unrest, all-out war, violence, various forms of injustice, division, greed, lust, and more. And if you're like me, when your head and your focus aren't in the right place, this can greatly discourage us and almost overwhelm us at times. So if you can relate to that this morning, like I can, I just want to share with you something that a friend of mine posted on his social media feed that was very positive just a couple of weeks ago. A friend and mentor wrote, if you don't fill your mind with the word of God, the enemy will fill it with fear, anxiety, stress, worry, and temptation. My hope and prayer this morning is this, is that this message, this message will help fill your mind with words of hope, with words of encouragement that come directly from God's word. And so I'm going to give you five words right now, five words that should offer tremendous hope and encouragement. And here they are. Are you ready for this? Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. As we prepare to, to celebrate his first advent here, as we do each year, especially around December 25th, let us not lose sight of the fact that Christ is coming again. The apostle Paul himself found great comfort in this. He found much hope in this truth. He even referred to this promise in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, as the believer's blessed hope. I'm going to read it to you right now. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And this isn't going to be our main text for you today. I'm just wanting you to see that the word of God says that Jesus is coming again and that we're to find tremendous hope in this biblical truth. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to remember this morning that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ will come again. He will come again in a manner that is personal, it's unmistakable, it's cosmic, it's glorious. It will be like nothing you've ever seen or experienced if we're blessed to be here at that time. And when he returns, ultimately, all the brokenness, and sin that so easily discourages us and gets us down right now. And at times overwhelms us, whether it's sin that's taken place in our own life and is kicking our butt, 
or if it's what's going on in the world around us, it's ultimately going to be done away with. Those are words of hope and encouragement to people who truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How certain is this? I want to just give you a few numbers if you're a numbers person. Ready for this? Someone did the counting. It wasn't me, but they've said that the Old Testament contains somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,800 references to Christ's return. If you were to look only at the New Testament, right? The, the 27 uh, books of the New Testament, there are only 260 chapters in all of those books, and yet there are 300 references to Christ's return. That means more than one every chapter of the New Testament. And if you could break down the entire Bible and look at it verse by verse, approximately every 30 verses has some sort of reference to Christ in this future return. For every time that it prophesies about his first advent or coming, which has already been fulfilled, there are eight on his second coming. This is a certainty. There's really no questioning whether or not Jesus Christ is coming again, according to the Bible. It clearly teaches it. But here's the question that I have for you this morning. Fairfax Bible Church family, no matter how you, how long you've been blessed to know Jesus or whether or not you're even sure that you do, I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. In the light of this bedrock truth that Jesus Christ is coming again, am I ready? Am I ready if he would return today? See, I've been blessed to walk with Jesus and be around his church long enough to know that it's possible. And I, I speak from experience here. To know something is true, yet be so distracted in my life that I forget that it's true. Times maybe even know that it's true, but not live as if it's true. Matt mentioned uh, I was blessed to be able to go to the master's seminary years ago, and there was a professor by the name of Dr. Bill Barrick. Dr. Barrick is uh, probably the most brilliant man I've ever known in my entire life, and he's a humble man of God. Don't know how many languages he speaks. He was a missionary in Bangladesh years ago and is largely responsible for the Bible being translated into Bengali so the people there would have a solid Bible translation. He was on the committee of translators that brought the English Standard Version translation of the Bible to us. When I was in his Old Testament and Hebrew classes, I sat in my seat terrified that he might actually call on me to ask me a question, put the fear of God in me. <laughs> 
not because of the way he carried himself, but just because, have you ever been around somebody that can be a little bit intimidating, maybe just by how they know, what they know, or what they do or have done in their life? He was an elder at a church that my wife and I were attending, and like a good shepherd, he reached out to our family. He set up an appointment to come and visit us at our home. Thought, wow, that's wonderful. It was a few weeks out. And so he scheduled it for a Saturday, and a few weeks passed by, and there's a knock on our door. My wife and I are in our home just carrying on like we normally would on a Saturday. And we're like, who's at our door right now? And so I walk over to the door and I look through the little peephole in the door. And as I look, it's Dr. Barrick standing there. And we had both forgotten that he was coming to our home that day. I do a quick scan of our little apartment there in uh, Valencia, California, and there are dishes everywhere. Every piece of laundry we have is on the couch at that time. And I can remember saying, just a minute, Dr. Barrick. And then here go our feet, right? And we're running all over the house and I'm grabbing all the laundry I can. I'm running it into the bedroom. We're moving dishes. And let me just say that someone very special was coming. I knew he was coming and the busyness of life left me forgetting that he was coming. And when he came, I wasn't ready and I was embarrassed is the truth. And of course, he was incredibly gracious. He was incredibly gracious about that. Let me just say, it's embarrassing when a seminary prof comes and you should have known they were coming and you're not ready. How much more awkward might it be if our Lord and Savior himself, who has told us time and time again in his word, he were to come again and to find the dishes in our life all over the house and the clothing on the couch, so to speak. First John chapter 2, verse 28 says this, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I trust, brothers and sisters, you would say, I want that to be true of me. That I might be confident and unashamed when my Lord and Savior comes. Not because I've been working so hard, I've earned his approval, but because Christ has earned it for me. I place my faith in Christ. He's done this transforming work in my life. And now my life reflects the fact that I know and love him. I've heard Pastor Matthew read this verse each week. And so I want to say and read it again, a verse that I love before we head into the main text this morning. Psalm 119 Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's going to be on the screen behind us if I understand correctly, but if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in it or on your phone. You can tap to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. And I'm going to share with you what I'm going to say is the big idea of these verses 
we will be looking at this morning. And it's this. The key to being ready for Christ's future return is to anxiously anticipate it when? Now. Today. Not some point in the future, but to anxiously anticipate it now. And in this passage we'll look at, we'll consider what I'm going to say just very simply are two pictures of readiness. They are two pictures that Jesus himself gives us of readiness. The first one is this. We must be ready like a faithful servant. We're going to see that in verses 35 through 38. And then in verses 39 through 40, we must be ready like a wise homeowner. You all know that... uh, When we look at the Bible, there's this thing we used to say in hermeneutics class in seminary that context is king. We understand a verse or a passage in scripture in light of the context that it appears in. And so I want to give you an idea of what Jesus is speaking about right when he gets to this little passage we're going to look at this morning, a passage that many of you are familiar with, I'm sure. In the verses leading up to this, in verses 22 through 34, Jesus is telling these people, and he's telling us today, don't be anxious. Don't worry. And he's saying it again and again in a a variety of different ways. He begins by saying, you you shouldn't worry about food, because I tell you what, Uh, The ravens, even though they're not great at uh, reaping and sowing and uh, storing away in barns, guess what? Your heavenly father takes care of them and they've got the food that they need. He goes on to say that even by worrying, there's not a single one of us that can even add one hour to our life. I know it's easier said than done, but how much of our time is wasted with anxiety and worrying at times? And hey, I I get this. This is why I don't mind saying it, because I get anxious and I worry at times. But it doesn't get me anywhere. We could do it all day long and it won't add any time to our life, Jesus said. And then he goes on to say, yeah, not only should we not worry about whether or not we're going to have food tomorrow, but we should not worry about clothing either. And he gives this example of the lilies and these flowers. You can picture it in the field. It says that not even Solomon in all his glory was looking as good as these flowers were. These flowers that God has woven and sprinkled into the grass, grass that one day is just going to be thrown into the fire, essentially. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And he says, guess what? Um, By the way, you're of much more value to God than the ravens are. And if he can clothe the grass with these beautiful lilies, I think he can take care of his people, don't you? Then he says, guess what? Oh, you of little faith. Little Jesus uh, slap back, loving loving rebuke, right? 
And he makes his statement or something like it. By the way, you know what? Those are the type of things that the nations are worrying about. Those who don't know him and have him as their provider and their loving shepherd who cares for them. That's the type of things people that don't know God and are blessed to have that relationship with him should be worrying and wringing their hands about, but not God's people. And then he makes this statement in verse 31. Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And then it rolls into, you guys are going, is he ever going to get there? It rolls into our passage for this morning. And I love it because when I looked at it more recently, I thought this, that people who are truly seeking God's kingdom will be anxiously anticipating the king. Does that make sense? They'll be anxiously anticipating the king's return if they're truly seeking his kingdom. And we're, we're not going to dive off into a discussion of the kingdom of God, which is huge and enormous and beautiful, but just get that big picture there. The kingdom has a king, and the Bible says the king is coming again. And his servants are to be anxiously anticipating the king. Jesus knows that, and when we're truly seeking his kingdom, we'll be looking for the author of our salvation to return. Jesus says in verses 35 through 40, I'm going to read you the passage now. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds what? Awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Two pictures of readiness. The first one, we must be ready like a faithful servant. Verses 35 through 38. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. This is not a, a suggestion or optional as far as Jesus is concerned. It's a twofold command. You see it? Be ready. Be, excuse me. Be dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. The idea is quite literally straight, stay dressed, ready for action. Having been dressed, ready for action, continue to be dressed, ready for action. In the most literal sense, and this uh, comes out if, if you've got the King James Version of the Bible, 
It says something we never say today. Ready for this? Let your loins stay girded. Going, what the heck is that all about, right? Imagine the, the long uh, flowing robes that were worn in the ancient Near East. And when it came time to move quickly, guess what they would do? They would pick them up and tuck them into the, 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 the belt, as it were, so that they could be ready to move. This is a, a picture of readiness. It actually doesn't fully come out in English, but it's there when you get this idea, let your loins stay girded, or at least in many of the translations that we use. The equivalent might be something like this. If, if uh, you're my age and one of your kids were to come in and uh, challenge you to a game of ping pong and say they're going to tear you up and said, well, let me roll my sleeves up, right? Let, let's go, right? This might be the modern equivalent of that so that I can be ready to play. He also says, keep your lamps burning. And the idea here is continually, you and I are blessed to live in a world where probably everybody in this room, when you wake up in the morning, can turn, walk over to a light switch and go, boop, and the lights come on, Right? Not at this time. In order to have light ready, it involved there being a lamp. And in that lamp, the lamp would burn what? It would burn oil. And the oil can actually run out, right? So you've got to, to keep the light going. You've got to be replenishing and watching the oil. And then there's a, a wick, and the wick needs to be trimmed. And so it took intentionality. It was something that had to happen continuously if you were going to have light. Jesus says, stay dressed, ready for action, and keep your lamps burning. This idea of uh, continual light even shows up in a slogan. And I thought about this. I go, I'm either going to show how old I am right now, or some people might actually remember this, but does anybody remember what the slogan for Motel 6 is? We'll leave the light on for you is the slogan. What's that all about? Whenever you come, they'll be ready for you. That's what they're saying. So this picture of having these, this lamp lit and continual light is a picture of readiness. Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. This idea of waiting implies that they're confident that he's coming, that they are patiently waiting. They're anticipating it. I want you to notice that it says when their master comes, not somebody else's, but it's, it's their master. So what else is there for a servant to do but to be ready for the master, right? Same goes for us. We're not waiting for somebody else's master to return. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who the Bible tells us repeatedly is coming again. It says, men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Just to give you a heads up, a wedding feast at this time 
often lasted up to seven days. Some of you are thinking, I'm glad I'm not paying for that wedding, right? (laughs) Maybe it helps you understand a little more why it was such a big deal when a wedding ran out of wine, right? And it was considered so not hospitable for that to take place. This was an extended celebration. And the idea of the picture that's being given here is it could be the first day, could be the second day, could be the third, could be the fourth, could be up to seven. And what is the job or duty of the servant? To be what? To be ready when their master comes so that they can immediately open the door for him. I was a junior high pastor many years ago at the church that the Nicosias and I are from. And there was one young man, I was always glad he was there at youth ministry. And uh, we got our cardio in as a staff, just trying to keep up with this kid, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And so there were many nights where no one came to pick him up. Not sad, but I mean, kind of sad, but uh, it wasn't terrible. They were just kind of expecting us to bring him home. One night, no one came. It was a night where I was hoping to get home to my family. We've probably been there at times, but I have an opportunity to take this young man home. He's living with his grandmother at the time and comes up to the front door, knocks on the door. No one's answering. We go to a phone. We're calling her. No one's answering. We go to the first windows in the house and we literally are opening gates, going around the back of the house. We are knocking on, banging on every window, every door in this home. It had been about 30 to 45 minutes and I'm thinking, I'm probably going to be taking the kid home with me. What else am I going to do, right? And so finally, finally, the grandmother opens the door and he says, Grandma, where have you been? And she says, boy, you got to give me time to get to the door, she said. (laughs) I'll never, never forget that one. I'm not, uh, Grandma probably had some good excuses, but I know this, she wasn't anticipating him coming at that time. Wasn't quite ready. On the other hand, I'm blessed to have parents who are still with us And I remember when my son was born. And I remember when we would schedule times to take my son over to their home to spend time with them on a Saturday. And I can remember that my parents knew their grandson was almost there because I think they could hear the gravel under our tires out on the road as we pulled into the court. And then as we started to get out of the car. The door was already open and they were looking through the blinds and they were anxiously anticipating his arrival. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today to do some soul searching and just say, am I really anxiously anticipating my master's return? Jesus says in verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Brothers and sisters, it will be good for those servants who are awake 
not sleeping, who were alert, who were anticipating his return, who maybe even are peeking through the blinds, as it were, anticipating his arrival. Is that you today? There are many days it's not me. The busyness of life gets in my way, and what a terrible excuse, knowing the the Lord and Savior that I have in Jesus. Recently, I read of the regular practice of a Reformed Presbyterian minister by the name of Horatius Bonar, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And it was said of him that he had a reputation for living his life in the glow of Christ's coming. And as the minister would conclude his day's work and prepare to go to sleep, he would draw the curtains of his window and utter as he looked upward, perhaps tonight, Lord. In the morning, as he woke and he looked out on the dawn of a new day, he would pray looking up into the sky, perhaps today, Lord. Jesus says, truly I say to you, here's the idea, I tell you the truth, maybe even believe it or not, imagine this, according to Jesus himself, the master will dress himself for service and have them, the faithful servants, recline at table and he will come and serve them. This is quite possibly a reference to an end time banquet that Jesus speaks of in Luke chapter 13, verse 29, where he explains that people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The idea is this, there will be a complete role reversal And according to Jesus Christ himself, in some capacity, the master will serve the servants. That should blow us away. Even Peter, when Jesus kneels to wash some dirty feet, said, no way, Lord, right? Of course, he didn't get all that Christ was trying to do there, but it's not supposed to work that way. The master doesn't serve the servants, it's the other way. And yet we have this beautiful picture and promise from Christ himself for those servants who are awake, alert, ready, and anticipating his return. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but listen to this, also to all who have longed for his appearing. Those who are awake, ready and waiting for Christ to return will be rewarded. Then he says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Whether he comes early in the night, whether he comes between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., whether he comes between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m., 
The idea is there to be constantly ready. And I want you to notice something, at least within what's written here and what Jesus tells. The awake, ready, and waiting servants weren't at all discouraged by how long their master was away. They were ready and waiting. Or we're to be. Ever wonder why he hasn't returned yet? I have. And I find comfort in one place that talks about that in Scripture. 2 Peter 3 and 4 and then verse 9, which says this, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desire. And what will they be saying? They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And then it said in verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand. Slowless he, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. One of the beautiful things about the fact that Christ who will one day return has not yet returned, is that he is drawing people into his kingdom as we wait. As Fairfax Bible Church lives sent, I love that you say that, as you go and recognize God just didn't entrust the Great Commission to Pastor Matt and Pastor Hang and the elders here at the church, but it's, it's to you to go out and to make Christ known and to make disciples. What a privilege. A day is coming where we'll no longer have that opportunity. You're living next to right now. You're working with people. You are related to people who will not be ready when Christ comes again. Many of whom are yet to know him and are blessed to know him like you may be blessed to know him. It should break our hearts that they don't yet know him. That's one reason that our Lord has been so patient. Let us not waste time. Let us not miss out on opportunities to make Jesus known. When's he coming again? I don't know when he's coming again, but I know we're now thousands of years closer than we were when he gave these words that are recorded in the book of Luke. So according to Jesus, we must be ready like a faithful servant, not only like a faithful servant, but also, and this one will be quick, I promise, ready like a wise homeowner. He now shifts to a slightly different picture. It's really simple. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left this house, his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Any of you ever had your home broken into, your car? I sure have. Had, had my favorite car ever stolen at gunpoint in Richmond, California. I didn't know the thieves were coming. And it took me by surprise. 
Jesus is just giving this little picture here. We, just like you don't know when the thief is coming, we don't know when Christ is coming, but you know what God's called us to do? He's called us to expect and anticipate the unexpected and to live that way. Are you ready? I want to just tell you this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're not positive that you do, I love you enough to tell you you're not ready. The good news is, is that you can be. You can be ready. I, uh, I went to a little Christian school for nine years, kindergarten to eighth grade. That's a lot of years to wear blue corduroys, by the way. <laughs> I was there all those years. I went to chapel every Friday. I learned Bible verses. I had Bible classes. I was around people who knew Jesus. I graduated from there in eighth grade and came later when I was about 15 years old in ninth grade to realize I was around Christians in the Bible all the time and didn't yet know Jesus. I remember going into a public high school when I was in ninth grade and I remember feeling this way, where did Jesus go? Where'd God go? It was like he disappeared. You see, he was no longer scheduled by the school I was blessed to be in into my life. And what I didn't understand at that time was that I could have told you a whole lot about Jesus, but I didn't actually know him. Didn't actually know him. Began going to a little youth ministry in Richmond, California and hearing youth pastors share the gospel message and talk about many of the verses I had heard about and even memorized earlier in my life. And the Spirit of God was at work in me to convict me that I was a sinner. Not only did, uh, uh, it, 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 did I need the hope that's offered in Jesus, I, I needed Jesus to save me. Prior to that time, I had been counting on probably being a pretty good guy, doing a lot of religious stuff. In comparison to other people, I wasn't that bad, right? That's what we often do, but God is a holy God. He's without sin. He's perfect. One of the minor prophets said that his eyes are too pure to look upon evil. God's serious enough about sin that He's not just going to act like it's not there. But the good news is, is that he offered a provision. It's available to everybody in this room. And it's his son, Jesus Christ. See, each one of us, according to the word of God, has sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. If you don't believe me, just ask your spouse whether or not you're a sinner, right? <laughs> or your parents. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I love it that the word of God says that God didn't wait for you to get your act together in order to save you. It says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were what? Sinners, Christ died for us. First step in knowing Jesus involves recognizing that I've sinned, that I'm in need of my sins being forgiven before a holy God I can't keep God's law. I failed to keep it countless times. But my God sent a substitute. 
his son, Jesus. And Jesus stepped in. He did what you and I could not do. He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life that was out sin, with, without sin. And he paid the penalty that our sin deserved or required, which the Bible says is death. That's how serious sin is in God's eyes. He took the sacrifice of his one and only perfect son, Jesus, to address and deal with our sins in order that we might be forgiven and brought back into a right relationship with God. When I was about 15 years old, I recognized I needed him. I acknowledged I was a sinner. I let him know that I believed that he sent Christ to die in my place. That Jesus died on that cross bearing my sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that I'm willing to receive the life that God is willing to credit to my account because of what Jesus did for me. I hope you've done that. If you're not sure that you have, you can talk to him right now and just let him know that. I don't need to necessarily spoon feed the words you share, what's on your heart. Let him know those things that I just talked about. My son called me from college just about two weeks ago and he was shaken up and here's why. Multiple people that had been in the church with him and in the college ministry he was so involved in there on campus and at the church in Southern California had seemingly just walked away from this faith that at one point seemed to be real. We're not going to get super deep here. I believe with all my heart that once you're truly saved, that you are always saved because it's God who saves and it was dependent upon me. I would mess it up in some way. But I do need to, by faith, embrace what Christ did for me. Receive him as my substitute in order to be forgiven. You might be here today, and God forbid, if this is like many churches, five months from now, you might not be following him. Give your life to him today. Maybe you're here and you're confident that you know him, but you've heard this message and you said, you know what? If Jesus came back today, he'd find a bunch of dishes in the sink of my life and laundry all over the couch. There's some things that I've got to deal with and address. And I want to say that one of the things I love so much about Jesus is that he has said, or the word of God tells us, that if we would confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might have walked into this place today realizing last week as Pastor Matthew spoke, man, I struggle with being thankful. Struggle with gratitude. You might be wrestling. Your, your marriage might be a mess right now. You might have a relationship with someone that you need to be reconciled to and you're living life as if that doesn't really matter when God's called you to be reconciled to them. You might be wrestling and having your tail kicked by pornography and lust right now, and you need to lay that down at Jesus' feet and take it seriously before it consumes you and you find yourself not ready if he were to come again. I share these things with you and, and, and know this, that our God would want nothing more than you would take them seriously and 
recognize your need for him. And whether it's receiving forgiveness to enter into a relationship with him through Jesus, or if it's receiving forgiveness just to get back right on track with him in the way your life that you need, uh, do that today. Don't leave this place without having done that. What a shame that would be. I want to read to you just a, a couple of verses. I'm going to give you just a moment right now to pray and to talk to him. You speak to him right now in prayer. Whatever God's doing in your life, whatever he's put on your heart, as you've heard these words this morning, and then I want to just read a couple of verses before our team comes and leads us in the final song of worship. Go ahead and talk to him now. 